This morning's scripture reading comes from Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to pray always and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the righteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? I almost forgot. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. We are continuing our sermon series uh, called Habits of the Heart, in which we explore some of our uh, practices that we do during worship. And this morning we are talking about prayer uh, these are habits that both shape our worship as well as our lives that we live, uh, as I said several weeks ago, between the benedictions. And so this morning, uh, we are looking at prayer. What comes to mind <laughs> when I say prayer? Do you struggle to pray? What does it look like for you? What are your prayer habits? Not often enough. Not often enough. Yeah, yeah. Probably one of the most consistent times that we pray. When you eat something, yeah. <laughs> when I read injunctions like pray always or pray without ceasing, do you get warm, comforting feelings coming up, or do you begin to feel a little bit of shame and judgment? Do you, how would you, what words would you use to describe your prayer life? Not often enough, flourishing, abundant, tired, lifeless, flaccid, maybe non-existent. I'd say praying is a challenge. Praying is ceasing from doing the work ourselves and trusting that God is taking up the concerns that we have for our lives, trusting that the concerns that we have are some are concerns that God has in our lives as well. I think these are challenges just for me in my own praying life as well to go, I have so much to do, but to stop and to pray, it feels like I'm not doing the things that I need to do. But prayer, as we will see, is trusting. It's uh, necessary. It's life-giving. But I think we use it so tritely sometimes gut reactions when I say things like, I'll pray for you. Thoughts and prayers go out to the victims of fill in the fill in the blank. It can often feel trite and insensitive, and I think people use it as kind of a catchphrase either to end a conversation or to say, that sounds like a you problem. That's not something that I have any responsibility for or any care about. But this is one of the cheapening, uh, this is a cheapening of one of the most profound 
practices that we can have, prayer more than anything else, joins us in what God is doing in the world. It opens our eyes, our hearts, our hands, our minds to what he is doing, to participate with him in his uh, work of redemption and restoration in the world. But this might also be a big reason why we don't want to pray or why we don't pray often enough. We're not sure we want to be a part of what he's doing in this world. We're not sure exactly what he's doing or that we want to be a part of it, but God deeply desires that we participate with him. You might be surprised that I would quote Eugene Peterson, but he says, Prayer is a daring venture into speech that juxtaposes our words with the sharply alive words that pierce and divide souls and spirit, joints and marrow, pitilessly exploring every thought and intention of the heart. This might be why we're so reticent to pray, but it's also the very reason why we should pray. We struggle, and that's a good thing. That means we're actually engaging in it as well, feeling that tension. I was in court last week. I know that's a big shift. (laughs) I was in court last week. Uh, I wasn't on trial, thankfully, and I didn't have to sit on the witness stand and testify either. Uh, I had jury duty, which is never convenient, which was a pause in my life and schedule that I did not have time and space for. Um, I've never gone to court for any reason other than jury duty. Maybe, maybe you have, maybe you have experience in this, but it was interesting to me how as like it's dramatized like nearly every night on the television. We watch courtroom dramas, movies, etc. We can quote Jack Nicholson uh, about being a lawyer, and yet there is so much I didn't know about the courtroom legal system and what happens, and mainly just how boring it is. Uh, But it was fascinatingly educational. Uh, It left me thinking I never want to go to court. I never want anyone that I know to have to go to court um, because it is just a weird, wild process to go through. Very short um, story of the trial. It was uh, a lease-breaking in Colorado Springs, the guy moved his business into a building that he purchased, and his business didn't fly very well uh, with the other business that was on the second floor. His business was a rehabilitation for um, kids with autism and beyond, uh, which we know most kids um, have issues with volume levels uh, in general, more so in with uh, go- when kids are going through physical and occupational therapy. The firm on the second floor, which had been there before uh, he purchased the building, was a cybersecurity firm, and they required quiet engineering mindset, coding, all sorts of things, and uh, development of, of engineering type things. So they need the space and th- time to be able to think and not have interruptions through um, kids' vocal uh, abilities, if you will, on the first floor. Uh, it was super muddy of who, kind of how the lease was broken and what it went through, and neither person was really in the right uh, as we went through our deliberations, and we none of us really wanted to rule in favor of the defendant, but as we worked through the law and the instructions that we were given, that's just kind of the conclusion that we had to make based on the evidence that was 
before us. We couldn't use our own prejudices or opinions or morality. One juror said, morally, I would like to rule in favor of the plaintiff, but the way the instructions are written, I have to uh, I have to rule for you know the other person for the defendant. All of us wanted to go out and just admonish both parties involved. I thought maybe being the jur- uh, the four person, I would have that privilege, but um, I I didn't even get to read the uh, the verdict that we came to. The judge read it, and the curious thing was that when he read it, he I put both of the sheets of paper back in there for the defendant and the plaintiff, and he said, and the other page is blank, which made us wonder, could we have ruled in favor for both parties, which we couldn't, but that was another further twist, and, and well, it was another couple of hours that we had to stay there when we asked that question. Many of us walked away thinking there is no justice here in this system. Um, they mo- Both parties made dumb decisions. They made mistakes. That inexcusable behaviors, and it led me to believe that if Lady Justice stands blindfolded to the parties that are bringing their complaints before one another, she is blind to the scales that she holds in her hand as well. And this parable came to mind. And so we enter into this as Jesus telling us, this is how we pray. And again, I'm going to shift back. It's a little hard, I know. But our worship shapes why, when, and how we pray, coming and bringing our concerns, our hearts, our lives, our complaints, even to God. Worship reminds us why we pray. Look at the last bit of this uh, passage here, verses 4 through 8. Jesus says, For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? We pray because we receive God's justice and mercy through Jesus Christ. Not having gone to seminary, Jesus was free of the professional theologian's fear of using bad people to illustrate God's good character. And so he says, you know, there. so in a certain city, it's almost like, is he pointing out, does he know something about a judge that was out there? There is a judge, likely in a Gentile court that he's talking about. He neither feared God nor man, which violates uh, the the greatest commandments that Jesus tells us, both to fear God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, to love your neighbor as yourself. This judge cared only for himself. He had no interest uh, or intent of doing anything for the widow. He didn't care. But for her beating him down, as the, the passage tells us, this is a Greek word, this is a boxing term in the Greek here, hypopaisin. And it's the blackening of an eye. Surely he's not concerned for his own physical safety of a widow, but it would have been a black eye to his reputation and a disgrace. And so he says, because I'm so concerned for my own reputation, I will rule in her favor. God, Jesus says, is like this judge in that he hears the pleas of his children and vindicates them. 
But unlike the judge, he is not reluctant or slow to do either, to listen, to continually listen, and to vindicate them. Verse 7, the literal way of translating this is, will not God absolutely bring justice? This is the strongest imperative language that the Greek has. Will he not absolutely bring justice? This is not accidental. God is not indifferent to the cries of the elect. He is patient. The question that Jesus says, will he delay long over them, could be translated as a statement as well and saying he will be patient with them. He will be patient with you. That word is macrothymen, which can also mean large-hearted. God is large-hearted towards his children. And unlike the the judge, God loves his children coming to him and readily justifies them, vindicates them. Speedily, uh, he writes here, soon, maybe a better translation is surely that he will do that as we read back into the text. But when he says soon and speedily, this is not something that's peripheral. It implies solidarity that God is with his people, and it's inherent to his character that he would justify them. But it also has a textual reference. If we look farther down in the same chapter, verse 31, we see that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. And he once again foretells his death and resurrection. And here he is saying that in Christ, in me, going to the cross, bearing the burden of sin, you have been justified. In Jesus, we we have all the vindication we need to bring our lives to God. We want to be able to come forth and lay our case before God. We want to say, do this thing because of what we have done and what we have. But prayer is ceasing from trying, ceasing from proving from the futility of life and the false belief that all of life depends on us. Prayer is by faith, believing that God reigns and rules, that he wants to bring order to our chaotic lives, that he wants to bring justification to us, that he wants to bring vindication, that he wants to hear what is going on in our lives. There are no concerns too small for God, and there are no concerns too big for him either. He wants all of our lives, and we can come to God with all of who we are. We are naked before him. We are uh, shown, he sees every bit of who we are. And so there's nothing that we can hide and there's nothing that he cannot cover with the death and resurrection of his son. We have life in him, so we don't have to justify ourselves before him. He has already justified us in Jesus. It's through Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, knowing that God is large-hearted to hear the cries of his children. We pray because God has justified us. He has vindicated us in Jesus Christ. We worship because uh, worship gives us an opportunity to pray as well. This is the win. Look at verses 2 through 3 with me. Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And he refused for a while, but then he did. We pray 
persistently and determined like the widow continually came to the judge. Widows had no social status. They had no legal standing. They had no means of support or inheritance. They had some provision that would be provided for them, but not much else. Um, A widow, she had two choices when her husband passed away. One was to remain in her husband's family, in which case she would be seen as inferior and had to would have to take on a servile or servant role. If she returned to her family, the second choice, then she would have the dowry that was paid would have to be returned. So there was no real good option for a widow in the ancient Near East. Women were so victimized that they were often sold as slaves for debt to be paid off. She had lost her life. Completely, She didn't have any uh, uh, person to go before the judge for her. She had no one to make her case except herself. But she was persistent, and she was determined. She kept coming is kind of the, the weight and the feel of this passage, right? She wants vindication from her enemies. This word vindication or justification, unrighteousness, is all the same, same root here as mentioned four times. And she doesn't have it, but she has persistence. And she, uh, she depended, depends and depended entirely on the judge for her vindication. One commentator said, Those who depend entirely on God may be sure that he will vindicate them. We pray to God because our lives depend on him. We have no standing in this world or before God except through Jesus Christ. I was talking to a friend on the phone uh, this week, or maybe it was last week, but uh, we were talking just about how hard life is, how much there is to do, how much there is going on, whether it's work, family, uh, just the, you know, caring for a house. He has five kids, so he has even more, which like compared to three is like 20 times the amount of work that he has to do. Um, And both of us just said, how do people do this. And he texted me later on. He goes, I feel like you get me. I'll be praying for you. And it was just one of those, we were able to come together and share our hearts, share our concerns with one another, and how challenging life is to have that opportunity uh, to be able to pray with one uh, for one another. Worship gives us the regular opportunity to bring our prayers before God, and it shapes our hearts as we go into the rest of our lives. But prayer also binds us together as a community. When we go through prayers of the people, we know that we have people praying for us and together with us. Maybe even when we don't feel like we can pray ourselves, there are others with us in life. It shapes our values shapes our culture, it shapes our habits, shapes our hopes and our imaginations for what God can do in our lives. Sarah. And while I feel like it, it does, it has been made into a trite statement, 
like that doesn't negate us from continuing to pray um, for uh, shootings, um, for people who are down and out, whatever they're going through in life, because like I said, life is hard. And so we still continue to pray for them because we believe that God is at work in this place as well. It's not a political statement for, for us. So, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Unlike the widow, we are not alone. So we can pray for one another. We can allow ourselves to be prayed for as well. It is one of the more intimate things that we do, so it can feel very challenging to stop and to pray uh, with and for one another. It can be, it can feel imposing to a, a place, a coffee shop, if we're out and sharing with one another. Um, but it also is incredibly powerful to be able to do that uh, with and for one another. We are not alone. Prayer reminds us of that. Worship also teaches us how to pray. Look at verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to pray always and not lose heart. To the effect. This is the effect of Jesus' parable, what he wants to be able to do. There was a little boy who went to a pastor uh, after uh, he after church service, and he says, why after you, do you, you read the scripture do you say, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever? And the pastor said, that's why, because you know the words. They are in your heart. And so when we come to worship, we pray many of the same things over and over and over again so that we can have the forms to be able to take with us into the rest of our lives to be able to pray. Uh, you, Peterson, again, says if you want to learn how to pray, go to church. We pray. Most of the, our worship service is prayers interwoven with one another, and they give us things so that when we don't know how to pray, we can just pray the Lord's Prayer, or we can pray our confession and absolution. We are given different forms to be able to do this. Prayer is responding to what God has done in our call and to worship and our invocation. We are answering God. Prayer is first answering speech. We believe that God is the one who works, who has initiated the call to us to worship him, to be in his life. He is the first mover in our lives, and so we are responding to what God has done. Prayer is admitting our need for God in our confession and our absolution. We can come to a God and admit that we don't have it all together, that we are nervous, that we have anxieties, that we don't care enough, that we don't pray enough, that um, maybe our anger gets the best of us, uh, uh, all of these things, and we can confess and receive his absolution and admitting our need for him. Prayer is trusting God with our hearts. We pray the Psalms. We pray for one another and the prayers of the people. We pray for our children. We pray our offering as well so that we know that we can trust God with, um, with our hearts, with uh, the concerns of our hearts for uh, ourselves and other people, for our children, 
for our finances, all of these things we can bring to God and trust him and learn to trust him. Prayer is professing our faith. We have a profession of faith as we approach the table every Sunday because it reminds us of who our God is so that we can go, um, I belong body and soul uh, to Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. Prayer is participating in the life of Christ. We pray the Lord's Prayer after the table so that we can get that language in us so that we can know this is what Christ is about, that his kingdom on heaven, in heaven would be at the same on earth as it is in heaven, that we would be praying that into our lives and being able to carry that into uh, the rest of our lives as well, participating in his life and his, uh, uh, what his desire is, his kingdom here on earth. Prayer is going forth into the everydayness of our lives. When we pray the benediction, when we receive it, it is receiving a good word, that blessing of protection and peace as we go back out into the world and be able to know that God is with us. One of the prepositions that is used most about who God is in relationship to us, his people is with. He desires to be with us us. And in the benediction, we can receive this. All of these are appropriate to be able to do outside of Sunday morning. They give us a form to prayer, to pray. How we incorporate these, uh, we do this uh, both morning and night as a family. So in the morning, as we're rushing out the door, we have bare 30 seconds to be able to gather together, um, as especially now that the hats and gloves and coats need to get put on as well. Uh, as the kids are going out, we come and circle up right on this rug here, and Haley gets her butt off, off of her bed, probably usually for the first time in the morning, and comes over and stands in the middle, and we all hold hands, and we pray, may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he lead you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he lead you home rejoicing once again and to our doors. And then we say amen and we head out for the day wherever we're going. And then at bedtime we come together and we read books and we do brushing of teeth and yelling usually is a part of the bedtime routine. Um, and then we sit down and we pray. And we start our prayers by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Both of these prayers take like 30 seconds apiece, and it's really amazing to see how kids uh, very quickly learn to love these habits, but also learn the words very quickly. Michael still substitutes, like, instead of the thighs, he says, my kingdom come, things like that. But we'll correct that when, when the time is appropriate. But very quickly, Michael, when he was, you know, just learning to be able to talk when he was three or four, had the prayer memorized and could pray the Lord's Prayer. We can all say the, the benediction that we say in the morning together. Kids love these prayers and love these practices. Perhaps more than any other practice, prayer shapes our hearts because we're bringing our hearts to God. 
and trusting through the work of Jesus on the cross that he will send his spirit to bind our hearts to him. Worship reminds us, we pray because God freely gives his justice and mercy through Jesus Christ, giving us the opportunity to pray and teaching us how to pray. As we were wrapping up our deliberations and kind of gathering all our things together, I was just struck by how there is only mercy. We can only fall on the mercy of God. Both parties made serious mistakes trying to make their lease work or not trying to make their lease work, but when we bring our requests to God, we can know that we have a God who is quick to hear our prayers and give us justice because on the cross, Jesus has received our verdict of guilty so that we might have his verdict of mercy. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we don't pray often enough, that we don't pray um, and come to you trusting in your grace and mercy uh, that you so freely want to give to us, Lord. Help us to see who you are in the person of Jesus, the care, the concern that you have for your children. May we trust in his work on the cross knowing that we can come to you, that we can lay out our hearts before you, that we can learn to trust you, Lord. Teach us how we can trust you. Teach us uh, the necessity of prayer, the necessity of life with you. Help us to join with you in bringing uh, your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.